Well, good morning, Missio family. How are we doing today? Are we tired? Did we lose an hour of sleep last night, anybody? I'm just like a little kid. It's like I look at the clock and I know I'm going to lose an hour, but I can't bring myself to go to bed, you know, and then you pay for it the next day. So we're continuing on in our series, Good News, and we've been in it for a while, talking about how the gospel is good news for everyday life. And just by a show of hands, who here would consider yourself a good dancer? Who's a good dancer? Anybody? We've got one, maybe two. Okay. So when I dance, my kids tell me I'm cringy, and I tell them that's my job as a dad is to embarrass you. And so... Uh, I I think I'm an okay dancer, but in order to be a good dancer, we have to have rhythm, right? Because you're moving with music. And so some people have good rhythm, some people don't. Sometimes we need family and friends to let us know if we're actually good at it. But the thing is, not everybody has musical rhythm, but everybody lives in rhythm. I want you to think about that. Everybody lives in normal rhythms of life. And it doesn't, it's not moving to music. It's just patterns, things that we do over and over. And so as we've been talking about gospel fluency and how the gospel is good news for all of life, not just our afterlife, like the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection is good news for our afterlife, right? It, it, it addresses our atonement issue, but it also informs how we live our lives each and every day, today and tomorrow and the next day. So we've um, been talking about identity. If you were here last week, we talked about how when we're immersed in our identity at baptism, that we are now part of the family, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're servants, and we're missionaries. And so we're, we're unpacking what this looks like and how we live out those identities through normal rhythms of life. And so this is kind of the next step in that progression. We talked about who we are as God's people and now we're going to talk about today and tomorrow, or next Sunday, about how do we live out those rhythms of life with gospel intentionality. And so if you've been with us for a while, uh, you might be feeling a little overwhelmed. I, I'm just going to say that I understand this sermon series is a very technical sermon series, and there's a lot of information. And so if you're feeling like, oh, Jesus is drinking from the fire hose, hang in there. It'll, it'll get better. We're going to uh, we'll, we'll kind of reemphasize some of this stuff over time, and it'll get easier, it'll get more and more familiar. And so this is kind of an alignment series that we're doing as Missio, because I really want us to know who we are as a church, who we are as a people, and to have a clear sense of direction. And so as we think about how we actually live life as disciples who make disciples, right, carrying out the Great Commission, we know that Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And, and teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Like, that's the, that's the goal. That's what we're here for. And we can do that through six rhythms. And we're going to talk about three today and three next Sunday. Now, these rhythms are universal to human beings. It doesn't matter where you're at, what kind of culture you're in, time, location, all of that. It doesn't really matter. These are things that are common to human beings, and so we're going to look at how we uh, bring gospel intentionality into things that we're already doing. Because I don't know about you, but we're all pretty busy already. Like we have lives, we have schedules, we have commitments. And so we're not trying to just add a whole bunch of more activity to our lives. We want to redeem the time that we already have. And so don't think additional, think intentional. When we think about being uh, disciples who make disciples, 
Think about intentionality, not just adding things. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so basically what that that text is saying is make the most of your time. We only have so much time on this earth, and are we using it? Are we using it for God's glory, for his purposes? So basically redeem the time that you already have. Live wisely because the days are limited. So the first rhythm we're going to talk about as we think about gospel intentionality is eat. Do we know something about eating? Have, Have we eaten before? Yeah, we all eat, right? We eat three meals a day, 21 meals a week. Eating is something that we hopefully know something about. Um, And it's the way that God designed our bodies. You think about that, like God could have made us as human beings to recharge in any way that he wanted to. Like he created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he said, here's all these trees, like you can eat of them to replenish and to nourish your body. God didn't have to make people that way. He could have said, you know, You're like a solar panel, just go lay out in the sun, you know, get your nutrients that way, or go lay in the water or plug into a tree or something. Like, God could have made us any way that he wanted to, but he chose to make human beings so that we need food to be replenished. And the need to eat is a daily reminder of God's provision, that God is the one who made us, and God is actually the one who provides for all of our physical needs. And that's why... When we think about gluttony, gluttony is not a sin that most people like to talk about, but it's in the Bible. Like, it's actually there. Because God made us to need food to survive and to give him glory through it. But when we choose gluttony, that's actually a way of saying, I'm more concerned with the food. It's about me and the food than it is about God. Does that make sense? That we're, we're more concerned about finding our fulfillment in the food rather than in Jesus. Like We have physical needs, and God knows that, and he's supplied them with food, but there's no worship and gluttony because the focus is on me and the food, not on God. When God brought people out of Israel, or brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he told them that he was bringing them to a place called the Promised Land. And if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. It was a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. That sounds like dessert. Sounds like God was saying, hey, I'm going to bring you to a place that has really good dessert. And you're not going to go hungry. You're going to eat well. And so all throughout scripture, we see that God over and over uses food as a way to remind people that he is good and that he wants to provide for their needs. And he does. Over and over and over throughout scripture, he provides for the needs of people. God has created us to enjoy food and for it to be a multi-sensory experience. He wants us to taste food. He wants us to smell food. He wants us to see food. I didn't mean to be seafood, but he wants us to use our senses, right? And so God created us to enjoy it. And, and that's really, uh, he is our, our creator, our sustainer, and our provider. We also see that Jesus ate food. Surprising, right? Jesus was human. He needed food to survive as well. And Jesus loved to hang out with people and share a meal. And if you, if you look throughout his life and ministry in the Gospels, Jesus was always eating with people. He loved to share a meal with others. And he even got in trouble for the company that he uh, shared. Matthew eleven nineteen 19 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, 
And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And so Jesus spent time around the table. Jesus ate with his disciples. He ate with people that he knew well. And Jesus ate with people that he didn't know, people that didn't understand him and didn't believe in him. But Jesus understood that the table was in Jewish culture, very much like it is in our culture today. It's, the table is a place of mutual respect. It's a place of invitation, of welcome, of love, and acceptance. And so when Jesus sat down across the table from people who weren't like him, these sinners, these people who were, you know, outcasts in their society, he was communicating love and acceptance. And the same is true for us. So Jesus understood the power and significance of the table. And I think that's, too, why so many business deals happen across the table. People love to go out and eat because it's a common ground. And to say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's, let's make a deal. Or we sit down with somebody, the stories kind of flow. Because when we're sitting at the table, there's an equal need. It's like saying, I'm in need of something. You're in need of something. We're in need of something together. It's a very equal space. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so whatever we do, whatever we eat or drink, we do to the glory of God. So every meal is a demonstration of the gospel. Because I have a need. And who meets that need? God does. Jesus has met every need that we have. Jesus was called the bread of life. You see the symbolism there? Jesus is what we need, and when we sit down to have a meal, it's a reminder for us that we need him, and it can be an opportunity to worship. It's interesting that throughout the story of God, food continues to be the prime example of God's provision in meeting the needs of his people, and in every case, they either chose to eat, they chose to eat unto God, or they chose to eat unto themselves. And so how might this rhythm of eating change for you if you saw it as an opportunity to bring the gospel into it, to have gospel intentionality in eating? Many of us sit down to eat, and maybe we say a prayer before we eat. And it's an opportunity to thank God that he is the one who provides for us. He is the one who meets our needs in a very tangible, physical way. We also see that Jesus gave us the example of the table. To sit down with people who are not like us. To share a meal with somebody who's uh, maybe got different convictions, different ideas, different beliefs. Maybe they're offensive to us. Are we willing to share a meal with those people? Jesus was. Jesus was misunderstood. You realize that? Like, he was called a drunkard and a glutton for the people that he hung out with. Have I ever been misunderstood for the people I'm eating with? Or are we more worried about our reputation and what people will think? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Remember, fear of man, it's a snare. Do we care more about what people think or what God thinks? So the table is a great place for discipleship to happen, but only if we're intentional with those experiences. The second rhythm I want to talk about is celebrate. Celebration is another rhythm of life. We love to celebrate, don't we, as people? And again, it doesn't matter where you go around the world, people are celebrating. We love to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, graduations, you name it. Like just, we love to celebrate 
Oh, yeah, and by the way, what does that allow us to do? Go back to the first rhythm, eat. <laughs> right? We're going to eat some more. But we love to celebrate. And we're created to worship, and we can do that through celebration. And so everybody in the world celebrates. The question is, to whom or what is the celebration directed? Because we are prone to celebrate the creation instead of the creator. That's our bent. Our bent is to make it all about us and about me and about, not about God. You think about a graduation. We go and we celebrate what that graduate has accomplished. They have achieved, you know, all these things and we celebrate them and we're happy for them and that's great. But who gave them the intellect? Who gave them the opportunity? Who gave them the talent? God did. And so there's a subtle shift there. We can still celebrate all that they've done, but it's bringing that gospel intentionality to say, hey, God's actually over all of this, and he's the true hero. Celebration is actually God's idea, and we see it in the creation account. Um, God created, created everything, created man, and he said, it is what? Very good. So God created, and then he celebrated. He said it's very good. He celebrated what he had created. Jesus also compared the kingdom of God to a great party in Matthew 22, 1 through 2. Yeah, you can check these out later if you want. Um, We also see that there's going to one day be a great celebration in heaven with Jesus at the center. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, the great wedding feast of the Lamb. And in his time on earth, Jesus also celebrated. In fact, that was where we see his first miracle. And I want to read this text for us if you've got a Bible and you want to open to John 2. I'm going to read this for us, um, John 2, 1 through 11. And this was Jesus' first miracle. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And I love that last verse, that Jesus manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So Jesus went to a celebration, he went to a party, did a miracle, and people believed in him. So what an awesome example of living on mission, the great commission of making disciples at a party. Jesus did that. And Jesus entered into the celebration. He didn't just go to the party, but he brought the better wine. He was a blessing to those in attendance. Jesus added something to the celebration. Jesus wasn't just sitting in the corner, you know, scrolling on his phone, 
waiting for the party to get over so he could hurry up and leave. I know some of us are like that when we're at a social gathering, right? It's like, oh, I got to get out of here. Jesus was in the mix. He was a joy to have around because he was good news. The rhythm of celebration is also found in the Old Testament. Uh, when we see throughout the history of Israel, God gave them all kinds of feasts and festivals. Why did he give them those festivals? They were given to remind them what God was like and what he had done for them. And so all of these things were steeped in ritual and significance and symbolism. But there was food and there was music and there was dancing and there was worship and there was sacrifice. And they extended for days. God wanted his people to celebrate, to show them what he was like. And when we celebrate as disciples of Jesus, we get to show the world what our God is like. Isn't that cool? We get to actually be the gospel to them in those situations. And so how do we bring gospel intentionality into the rhythm of celebrating? And I think it comes with, first of all, realizing that I have something to celebrate. If we know Jesus, if we know him as our Savior, then we have something to celebrate, don't we? We are free in Christ. We have been given a new identity. We have the hope of eternity. And we get to bring that joy with us wherever we go. And the people that we are sent to, they're also celebrating. They just happen to be celebrating a different God and a different story than we are. But we realize that as we enter into their celebrations that we're actually bringing the better story. We're bringing light and we're redeeming those spaces. And we're serving. Does this mean that we need to show up to people's parties and point out everything they're doing wrong, everything that's sinful? I don't think so. I don't really see Jesus doing that. He brought the blessing. He was the blessing. And so we get to enter into people's celebrations and bring light and peace. Again, Jesus didn't just speak the good news. He did, but he was good news. The Bible says he was the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. I just want to pause here for a moment because I know I've just been blasting through this stuff. And I want to bring Michael Mart up here um, as, a, as a way of applying this, because it's easy for me to teach and just explain, I want to give uh, Michael an opportunity to, to share a little bit of a, maybe a testimonial of these rhythms, because this is a big part of who we are as Missio, and we've been doing this for, I don't know, what, a year, year and a half, trying to, to learn what it looks like to live in these rhythms. And so Michael leads one of our missional communities, and I just have asked him to share a little bit from his experience. So Michael... How have you grown, uh, let's just start with the eat rhythm. How have you learned to apply that and how has God been teaching you yeah. to, to bring gospel intentionality? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I love to eat, you can tell that. So, um, and, and I, I was just looking at my life at work and I found myself just always sitting in my office eating a meal by myself. You know, I'm a dedicated employee, but they don't pay me to work uh, for lunch break. So I'm like, man, you know, this is, like, I could be using this time to connect with other people. And so my wife and I, we started to pray about this, to say, how can we do this? And right now, I try to take two of those meals a week and go out to lunch with people. So we have to rearrange our budget in order to do that. But those times have just been so rich in doing that. This last week, uh, I met with a coworker. Uh, 
I've worked with him for a year, never been out to lunch with him. And he just opened up to me about the situation in his life at home. He's going through a divorce. And it was just like, this is hard to hear, but awesome that this guy can just open up and share that. And it would have only happened over a meal. Um, and so that's kind of been something that I've experienced is just those conversations over a meal are just so rich because what else are you going to do other than eat and talk? So, yeah, that's great, Michael. How about, um, I'm, I'm going to let you answer this how you want to, but um, the celebrate rhythm is one that I know you guys have embraced. And maybe tell us what, what maybe about an experience that, um, that you've grown in as you've applied that to your life. Yeah, so that's another great one. Um, when we were studying to celebrate, we talked about how Christians aren't known to celebrate. And I'm like, I, I want to change that. And so my wife and I, we had our 10-year wedding anniversary last fall. And I said, this would be great. It's 10 years. Instead of going somewhere and doing something, let's throw a party. And so that's what we did. We cooked burgers. We cooked brats. We hung out at our house. We invited coworkers, friends, neighbors. They all came over, um, and we had a bounce house, too. So for the kids that were there, and this was just a great party in our driveway. Um, but we had a time to pray, pray to thank God for all of our friends, to thank God for our marriage. Um, and it was just kind of this great way to start conversations with people and to just have a great time. Yeah, I don't know too many people who throw a party for other people on their anniversary, right? Typically, it's, it's the other way around, so that was so awesome. I was there, I'm sure some of you were there, and it was just an amazing time to celebrate. And yeah, I just praise God for what you guys are doing. And anyway, thanks, Michael. Just wanted to um, illustrate, I guess, a little bit what rhythms look like and that anyone can do this. God has created us to live in rhythm. And it's not complicated, it's not hard, but it does require intentionality. And so the last one I want to talk about this morning is called recreate. Now this is a, a bit of a made-up word, so forgive me, but it's based on rest and create, and kind of slamming those two words together. And we, we see this, if you go all the way back to the creation account. So I'm in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, if you want to go there, um, verse 131 through 2, 3. And I'll read this for us. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. And so we see from the text that God created and God rested. Those two things kind of go hand in hand, right? And so as people who bear the image of a creative God, I believe that we're designed to create. Now, some people consider themselves the creative type, the artistic type, right? Like some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You say, I'm not creative, that person is. That per but I'm going to argue because I think Every person created in the image of God because we are image bearers of a creative God that we're all creative. Now, does that mean that some people are more artistic than others? Yes. 
We know those people, and there's probably some of them in this room. We have people who are more artistic, who are really, really good at the arts. But I, I think that we all, because we're image bearers of God, are designed to create. And it's funny because when we're kids, it's very natural. Like, every kid comes home from school, and they got that paper. Look, here's mom, dad, and brother, sister, and the dog, and the hamster, and they go all the way down the line, right? And it might be a drawing of stick figures or something that's very you know, not artistic, but we're not there to critique the artistic quality of it. We're just there to appreciate the beauty of what that child has done, right? And somewhere along the line, as we grow older, we get busy and we get stressed out and we think, I don't have time to create. I don't have time to do that. I'm so busy running the world that I don't have time to slow down. Life is too serious, too busy, and I don't have time to create. But by the way, there are a million different ways to express creativity. Obviously, there are the arts. There's, you know, drawing, painting, sculpting, dance, music. Uh, but some people create through building, like constructing things, building things out of wood and steel and other materials, or maybe crocheting or making quilts and blankets. Like, we can be creative and add beauty to our world in so many ways. And when we do that, we reflect who God is. Because God is our creator. And God is still creating beauty all around us. And we reflect his image. Our God also rested. He rested and created. And he modeled a rhythm of work and rest that should take place in our lives. So what does that mean? What does it mean to rest? If I'm working and I, have, and I apply the gospel to my work... I rest in the fact that Jesus has done the work for me already. I'm justified through Jesus, and so I don't have to prove anything. Again, I'm kind of, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, right, I don't have to prove myself. I can trust in the finished work of Jesus. He's done the work for me. So even while while I labor, I can rest in that. And then when I take a break, I can truly rest because guess what? I don't keep the world spinning. Who's in control? God, right? God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Anybody remember that? So we can rest when we're resting. People that don't have the gospel, that don't know Jesus, they toil, and they're all spun up in their work trying to prove themselves, and when they rest, they're truly not at rest because they're worried about everything else that's going on around them. So we rest in God's work. So whether we're working or playing or sleeping or creating, we rest in his work and his abilities and power. And so I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do in your life is take a nap. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) Everyone's like, yeah, after church, we're going home to take a nap. Time change, right? But do you realize that that's one of the most spiritual things you can do? Because we're resting in God. We don't have to toil. We don't have to stress. We don't have to worry. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, and there was a storm going on. And if you know this story, you know where I'm going with this. Where was Jesus? Just sleeping in the back of the boat, and the disciples are freaking out. They're saying, Jesus, we're going to die. Wake up and save us. And so Jesus gets up, and he walks out, and he just says, calms the storm with the words of his mouth calms the storm. And that's the miracle. Obviously, we know that's the miracle, but how could Jesus be sleeping in the back of the boat when there's a storm happening? I'm sure there was lightning and thunder and, you know, 
waves and all that. He was resting in who God, God is, his father. He was not stressed. He was not worried. And sometimes we need to take a little advice from Jesus. Take a nap, right? Do you have a hard time slowing down and resting? Believe that God is in control, and so you don't have to be. When we recreate together as a group of people, it's a way of proclaiming the gospel to one another, and it's a way of remembering that God is our sustainer and our provider. It communicates what he is like. And our way of life is on display for everybody around us. Our, our neighbors, friends, family, they see the rhythms of our lives. And so do they see us like rushing around, being over, over committed and stressed out about everything? Or do they see us working hard, taking a break, and enjoying life, enjoying God's creation? Man, it's just two very different scenarios. And I think one communicates the gospel and one does not. And so we learn to rest, we learn to create, we learn to add beauty to our world. And I think most of us, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we, we know the Great Commission, we want to fulfill it, we want to make disciples, but we just don't know how. And so I think for many of us, for myself included, it was always like, well, you just need to try harder, do better, and grind it out on your own. And I don't think that's what the invitation is. I think Jesus is saying, hey... You get to do this as a group of people. You get to live out those identities of family, servant, missionary together in everyday rhythms, everyday things that we're already doing. We get to bring gospel intentionality into those things, and I think that's how the kingdom is built. Rather than us trying to compartmentalize everything into, well, now I'm doing a church activity, now I'm going to do this. It's like, no, it's all, it's all the mission, Right? So what if we could live that way? Would that take some pressure off? Anybody just kind of exhale? Because we don't have to make it all happen on our own. We can rely on the Holy Spirit and we can partner with him in his work and we can do it together, relying on other people's strengths and giftings and life as family. So I want to wrap this up and just give us some challenges, maybe just some things, ways to apply this, these rhythms to life. So we talked about eat, right? Bringing gospel intentionality into our meals. Very simple one. When you sit down to eat, take a moment to reflect on the fact that God designed you to need food to replenish yourself. Take a moment to remember that God is your sustainer. Like every meal that you eat comes from God. And that he's met our ultimate need in Jesus, the true bread of life. So it's just a moment of worship. It could be a prayer. It doesn't have to be a prayer. Sometimes prayers become rituals that don't mean much to us. But it's an attitude of the heart, of gratitude for what he has done. And then I just say, you know, Michael talked about, I think, two or three meals a week. Do you say two or three? I'm going to say three. We'll up at one. And if you're in a missional community already, guess what? There's one. You've eaten one meal with everybody else, okay? You've had a group meal. Try to eat two more meals this week with somebody else other than yourself and it could be people that are friends family they could be other believers but maybe try to eat one meal with somebody who doesn't know Jesus that's a little harder to do isn't it to sit across from somebody who doesn't believe like us doesn't talk like us doesn't think like us but we reflect the love of Christ when we invite them into that space 
By the way, if you're not in a missional community and you want to experience life in, on mission, talk to me after the service, fill out a connect card. We'd love to have you join a missional community. This is where we're hopefully applying these rhythms and encouraging each other to do that. The second one is celebrate. And so if somebody invites you to a party, just go. Be present. Be the good news. Bring the better wine. Bring something. Bring a dessert. I mean, show them what Jesus is like at the celebration because you're there, because you bring the gospel with you. Maybe as missional communities, we could make a difference in our neighborhoods by throwing some parties. Michael gave us a great example, but maybe there's a single mom down the street who could use a birthday party. We could do that. And by the way, this would be a way of living out that servant identity as well, meeting the needs of somebody else. If we truly know Jesus, we should be the most celebratory people on the planet, right? And then the last one, recreate. Take some time and get alone with God. Rest. This might be solitude. This might be a time of prayer or just reading in the word or taking a walk with God and just talking to him. Or maybe it's taking a nap. I think everyone's going to go for the nap because that's the easy one. But rest. Rest in God. Rest in who he is. Trust in who he is. And then do something creative. Whatever that is for you. I, I don't know. When we create something, we add beauty to the world. Just as our God has added beauty to it. And so we reflect his likeness when we do that. So whatever it is, make Make time and make an, an intentional effort to bring the gospel into these rhythms. And so I want to just pray and close this here and ask the Holy Spirit to help us because the gospel is good news, amen? It's good news for today, and I hope you feel that. I hope your heart is encouraged to know that God is for us. He loves us, and he wants us to reach the world with this message of hope and joy. But if we're not reflecting hope and joy from our own hearts, then the gospel gets distorted. So let's pray. God, would you help us to truly believe what is true about you, what is true about us, and to more and more, God, move in those areas of unbelief to faith in you. Holy Spirit, give us strength, give us focus, help us to direct our hearts and our minds to you to bring intentionality into all of these rhythms of life. Lord, thank you for modeling what it looks like to eat well, to celebrate well, and to rest and create well. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. And we now lift our hearts to you in worship in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Would you please stand?